Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, welcome to Blog Talks Radio, and this is Trundle Bed Hello. Hello, Hello Barbara. Yes. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Uh, I'm actually guys a little late calling you, so I am on air. So I'm just going to hold ask you to hold on for just a minute. Sure. Okay. Well, hello everybody, and uh, as you just heard, this was not a good night for me to pick. I kind of. Uh, uh, scheduled it poorly because I ended up having to work tonight, so I am just about out of breath because I just got things set up and I was a little late calling Barbara, but I think we're going to have a good show anyway. I want to remind everybody, if you want to call in with uh, a question or if you just are out and about listening, you can do that at one seven one four two four two five two five three. 1714 242-5253. And there's also a toll-free number. That's one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine. That's one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine. And before we get started, I just have a few housekeeping chores. And I just want to remind everybody that uh, this has been a busy uh, week for or month for uh, Trundle Bed Tales Radio. I hope you get a chance to listen to all the episodes. Uh, June's going to be a little bit different um, because I'm going to be making a couple of Laura trips instead of having me do a, a single uh, big speech at the beginning of the month. I'm going to be doing a few shorter. Uh, segments reporting on the different Laura trips I'm taking. And it looks like the person we're going to have interviewed, though I don't have a firm date for you yet, is actually uh, going to be talking about making hay. So if you wondered how that fit into the book, uh, you'll get all the details there. And I think that's about all the housekeeping that I have for tonight. So we're uh, going to jump right back into our subject for tonight, which is Nancy Drew. And I just want to let everybody know that while I'm a little out of breath, I am wearing my most Nancy Drew-esque shirt that I have. It's just like one half of one of the 1960s covers. And I wanted to mention just a little bit about uh, one of the things in Nancy's memory box, which is a cameo ring that she got at the, at uh, in the book, The Ghost of Blackwood Hall, which is actually one of the books that Mildred Wirt Benson mentioned, or, or wrote, and, um, well, well, that part's true. She did write the story, and Nancy does get a cameo ring in it, and I wear a cameo ring. It's actually my mom's is why I wear it. But the thing that I really did get from Nancy Drew is that uh, it's one of the best, three best pieces of advice that I have gotten out of a book ever, 
and that is always keep a packed overnight bag complete with swimsuit in the trunk of your car. And that has gotten me out of more jams than I care to remember. So listen to Nancy Drew and always keep an overnight bag. Now I'm going to go ahead and bring our guest for tonight on the air. Hello, Barbara. Hello. It's fun to be on the air with the woman who brought Laura Ingalls Wilder to us. Oh, well, thank you. I'm so glad that, that you agreed to it because I just I just love hearing you talk about Nancy Drew. I think you know even more about her than I know about Laura. So I was so glad that you were willing to do this. Well, as it happens, uh, there was a survey in 2000. Seven, and they asked people around the United States, um, what was the book that hooked you and made you a reader? And number one, 93,000 people answered, and number one was Nancy Drew, <laughs> The Secret of the Old Clock, and number three was Laurel Ingalls Wilder, Little House on the Prairie. Well, I'm not really surprised, because I think most girls who'd like one would like the other, because they're both about funky girls with their own mind. Exactly. Well, for those of uh, out in the viewing audience or listening audience who don't know who you are, why don't you introduce yourself, Barbara, and tell us just a little bit about you. Well, I'm a native Iowan, like I like uh, Nancy's author, Mildred Augustine, and uh, I like to think that Nancy Drew was an Iowan, too, and uh, so I grew up reading and loving Nancy Drew and uh, was lucky enough to um, get a job at the University of Northern Iowa teaching English, and so I began teaching about Midwestern literature and uh, was surprised to learn very late, you know, in the 1980s that actually the the woman who wrote, you know, 23 of the first uh, 30 Nancy Drew Mysteries was from Iowa. And uh, so I thought, I wish I would have learned this in my public library or at school. Uh, I think it would have encouraged me no end in terms of the possibilities for female Iowans, and so uh, I began to, I've become kind of go around the state and try to help people know, because it's kind of a, uh, a mystery or a carefully guarded secret that um, the real women, oh, that Nancy Drew is an Iowan and that her, one of her beginning authors was, was an Iowan, too. Well, they certainly do keep it quiet, and it, it, it isn't really surprising, though, because there is a lot of good literature that comes out of Iowa, and I, I certainly think so. And I'm not uh, surprised at all to know that Nancy is, is an Iowan, except that uh, they, in the, when they redid the books, they kind of tried to make them more in the Midwest. And, exactly. And, sorry, in the North New England. Well, and you tell me, um, Sarah, what you think in the first volume that Mildred Augustine, who came from Ladora, Iowa, um, the first volume, The Secret of the Old Clock, she says this, Like a true daughter of the Middle West, Nancy Drew took pride in the fertility of her state and saw beauty in a crop of waving green corn as well as in the rolling hills and the expanse of prairie land. 
Uh, they never use the word Iowa, but if you've ever been to Ladora you and um, Mildred Augustine's house where she wrote that book is on Highway 6 going by. Right out her window she could see the the green corn <laughs> rolling. So I feel sure she was thinking that her heroine was an Iowan like herself. Well, that does sound pretty conclusive. I mean, that does sound exactly like Iowa. Right, but you're absolutely right. In the 1950s, you know, she, she first came out in in the Depression in 1930. But when they, um, she was so popular that when they redid them in the 1950s, they shortened them down and dumbed them down, and they also changed the blue roadster to a blue Mustang convertible. You know, they kind of updated some things, but they also shortened them and and dumbed them down, which is why a lot of people. Remember with fondness the blue-covered Nancys, uh, the original ones that Mildred Augustine wrote, wrote. And when they shortened them, they cut out lines like <laughs> the one I just read to you. And so that's one of the reasons that people who love Nancy Drew say, "My gosh, I kind of knew she was from the Midwest." And uh, of course, I think Mildred Augustine was thinking of Iowa. Well, I would think she would, since that's what she knew best. And after all, for all you non-Iowans out there, Iowa, well, it doesn't really, but we like to say Iowa means beautiful land. (laughs) Right. Okay, well, I think anybody listening tonight would probably know who Nancy Drew is, but in case there's anybody who just stumbled on this or who is a Laura fan that somehow managed not to read any Nancy Drew books, how would you describe Nancy Drew? Well, um, Nancy Drew, for me, when I was reading her when I was 9 or 10, um, she was brave, she was smart, she was kind. She really, uh, some people have said she she had it all. One one scholar has written that, uh, and it that, of course, in the 1930s, there weren't as many roles open to women as there are today, and and that Mildred Augustine's genius, really, was to make Nancy Drew a blend of the three acceptable roles for women at that time, and what she meant by that is, uh, you know, back then you could be what they called the beautiful charmer, you know, if you could pull it out, or maybe you were the outdoor girl, you know, the tomboy, um, or you were the New England brain, you know, think Catherine Hepburn. And so Nancy, when you think about it, she was pretty, she was athletic, the outdoor girl, and she was smart. <laughs> she had it all. And um, so there were so many reasons where I think young girls uh admired her you know one was the blue roadster how exciting was that she had her own roadster um she didn't have a mom which i think kind of made her exciting and so she had a lot of independence and would drive around and was was very adventurous and brave and uh i have to tell you sarah that um you and i weren't the only ones who were taken with uh nancy drew uh a number of very famous women, Barbara Walters, uh, the opera singer Beverly Sills, Demi Moore, the actress, and if you can believe it, all three women Supreme Court justices, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, Sonia Sotomayor, and Ellen Kagan, all of these women have said that um, reading Nancy Drew as a 
as a young girl, spurred them on to achievement by having her as, as such a positive role model. So uh, I think she was just a wonderful role model for for girls, and she still is today, which may be part of the secret of her success. I think that is true. I, I mean, I read a lot of my grandmother's books when, when I was growing up from when she was a girl, and I really think that um, you get the books that she was reading were a lot better than the ones that were coming out when I was little because the ones that she had were about girls doing stuff. Nancy Drew and the Dana Girls Solving Mysteries, Dorothy Dixon Earns Her Wings, Helen in the Editor's Chair, and the books that came out when I was at that age were like, this is how you get a boy. And it was like, yeah, I don't care. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And Nancy Drew could do anything. She could fix a, you know, change a tire. She could fix a boat engine. She was a great golfer. And uh, whenever a mystery needed to be solved, everyone turned to her because she knew how to solve the mystery. Even Ned Nickerson, her boyfriend, <laughs> you know, even Ned Nickerson's friends, because she was a natural leader. So she was and and she was kind and she was modest which i think is a very midwest quality and uh so it was hard not to um admire and uh uh want to be nancy drew as i think i did yeah i think a lot of girls grew up wanting to be nancy drew well and and one of the fun things about going around this state in the midwest and talking about nancy drew is i often find I have four generations of women and sometimes some men in the room. And, and so there'll be like 8- to 12-year-olds who are just discovering her right now, but then their moms and their moms and their great-grandmas who maybe first started reading the the blue ones. And uh, I've even had some men say that they come and they love Nancy Drew. And I even some... Uh, a man out in Council Bluffs told me that he and his brother so liked Nancy Drew when they were going on the train to New York with their family they were traveling, and they, they didn't want people to see that they were so, you know, obsessed with Nancy Drew, so they used brown paper wrappers. <laughs> but they they loved Nancy Drew, too, and I think some some boys did, too. Well, you know, there there really are just some books that stand the test of time all on their own. And I, I think Laura's books, I think the Nancy Drew books, Lucy Maud Montgomery, it, it's a select list, but some of them don't need uh, college literature instructors insisting people buy them to keep them in print. And as you said about Laura, the, uh, she and Nancy and, uh, yes, Anna Green gave us so independent girls, right, who are forging their mm-hmm. own way and, and uh, that's inspiring. Well, let's uh, back up just a little bit, because Nancy Drew is one of those things that were long hated in library world series books. So I wanted to talk just a little bit about the history of series books and kind of how they changed. And uh, I think probably the most popular uh, series book in the 19th century was Horatio Alger, and that has um, some connections to the Nancy Drew Hardy Boys books. Yes, in fact, Horatio Alger Jr. was of 
good friend and kind of a mentor to Edward Stratemeyer, who really is the father of all these famous uh, adventure series like Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys and the Rover Boys and the Bobsy Twins in in the 1900s. But Horatio Alger, and and most people associate their Horatio Alger books. I mean, their titles are so wonderful. I've collected some that are like Tried and True, Strive and Succeed, (laughs) Uh, and... uh, the basic, if you ask someone, you know, what's the basic story of a Horatio Alger uh, story, it's, you know, poor boy, works hard, and then you can probably finish the <laughs> the equation, you know, does well, right, is successful. Right, does uh, so, well. But these were boys, you know, uh, slow and sure, tried and true. So they, um, many people think they, they really help, excuse me? Frank and Fearless, that was the one. Right, 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 right. Well, they helped a really um, inspire the American dream. You know, they they fostered the American dream because if you, if you were poor but you worked hard, kind of like Ben Franklin, you could, um, in all the books, the, the Horatio Alger characters did well, And uh, but they were boys. Uh, well, Edward Stratemeyer learned a lot from his good friend, Horatio Alger, Jr., and he set up in about 1906 what was called what he called the Stratemeyer Syndicate, and it was basically a fiction factory for young people's adventure stories. And so, Stratemeyer was a genius. There's no question about it. Uh, uh, lived in New Jersey, and he just had the ability to come up with all. He created 60 of these adventure stories, like the Dana Girls and the Bobsy Twins and the Rover Boys and Tom Swift. And uh, um, But he came up with an ingenious method of working, and uh, he would come up with the kind of the idea for a series, and then he would write you know, brief plot outlines for the Hardy Boys, which he created in 1927. And uh, um, but then he would give these brief plot outlines, you know, two, three, four pages, to hired ghostwriters who would then, you know, actually write the books themselves from these plot outlines. And then Stratemeyer would edit them and publish them. And uh, the the ghostwriters were paid, for example, our Iowa writer, Mildred Augustine, was paid $125 for each manuscript. And uh, But the Stratemeyer Syndicate held the copyright to all the books and collected all the royalties. And so these, these hired ghostwriters um, signed contracts of secrecy, pledging they would not reveal they were the real authors. And so these honorable hired ghostwriters, including Mildred Augustine, kept their pledges of secrecy, even when it became clear that Nancy Drew was selling two million copies a year. So uh, so that's how kind of Nancy Drew became famous, but her Iowa author was a secret for more than 50 years. Well, uh before we, we go on with Nancy, I wanted to take one more little step back and talk just a minute about Ruth Fielding, who was uh, another series that uh, Mildred was involved with. 
Right. And uh, even before we get to that, I, I meant to say, because you were talking about how series books weren't, um, in early on, weren't very popular in libraries. And I ran across an amazing article in 1927, and uh as as a librarian yourself, I know you know all this, but it, it just fascinated me. Um, here, people thought in the you know the early part of the 1900s that somehow series books weren't good for young readers, and uh, uh, I ran across an article by the the head librarian of the Boy Scouts of America. And he said in 1927 in an article that went all over the nation and to librarians, it said, if your child reads a series book, his brain will explode. (laughs) (laughs) His brain will explode. And and what's so funny is that how, how now we have completely the opposite a view of series books. And uh, there was a, a wonderful survey, I think, in the 1970s and 80s, and they asked people uh, across uh, North America, you know, what what made people who, who I'd called themselves lifelong readers, and they said, well, what made you someone who's a lifelong reader? And over and over again, they said it was reading a series book like, you know the Hardy Boys or or Nancy Drew or you know whatever and so now we know and maybe we should have figured it out back then that that these series books really help readers learn how to read maybe maybe you should say something about that Sarah well it it really any reading anything is shown to be good for uh for your reading process because you need to be um, a lot of times they'll focus on people who are having trouble reading and what they call high interest low ability books and even though they aren't you know the most strenuous thing that they could read if you read enough of them you build a skill to not have to struggle over each single word but to kind of get a reading flow developed and that's what you really need you're never going to read anything very complicated if you don't have that kind of reading flow and if people are um, are interested in a series, they'll quite often have to read the entire thing, and that keeps them reading, and it really has proved valuable. In fact, I think uh, the Harry Potter books, which are, in essence, a series, uh, are sort of being hailed as the savior of, of reading, getting kids to read big books again. Exactly, and... and- they learn the conventions, right, of, of mysteries. And uh, um, you can't help but notice each Nancy Drew mystery, you can read it, and you know, you know, nothing horrible is going to happen. You know, you have a sense it's going to turn all, all, all out all right in the end, you know. But along the way, you learn all the conventions of detective stories. And, and so you have to learn it somehow, right? And the series books right. are a great way to to learn about the conventions of, of books. <laughs> well, uh, let really me... Well, uh, shall I say a little bit about Ruth Fielding? Yes, go ahead. Okay, well, um, I should say... Uh, Mildred Augustine, who was born in Lador, Iowa in 1905, 
put many of her own characteristics into the Nancy Drew books. And uh, she, uh, Mildred herself, really started out, she had brains and daring, <laughs> just like Nancy Drew. And she started off as an academic pioneer. And uh, she was the first woman, if you can believe it, to uh, earn a bachelor's degree in journalism from the University of Iowa's New School of Journalism. This was 1925. Um, she was 20, and she was the first person, male or female, to earn a master's degree from the journalism school. So she she's an academic pioneer first, and so. But when she was um, 20, after getting her bachelor's degree in 1925 from the University of Iowa School of Journalism, she boards a train to New York City to meet Edward Stratemeyer, who had advertised for ghostwriters for a syndicate. Well, she meets him, takes the train back, and the first book she writes for him is called Ruth Fielding and Her Great Scenario. <laughs> and little did she know she was about to embark on a great scenario in American popular culture, all her own. And uh, uh, are you a fan of Ruth Fielding by any chance? Well, I, I have been slowly working on gathering the series, but I don't have anywhere near all of them. Well, and I think Mildred Augustine wrote four of them. I mean, she she so she started out writing Ruth Fielding, and but then. In 1929, Stratemeyer mailed Mildred Augustine a plot uh, outline for a new teen sleuth named Nancy Drew. And uh, as I mentioned before, in 1927, Stratemeyer had come up with the Hardy Boys, and they had proved such popular teen detectives that Stratemeyer thought America was ready. We were ready for a female counterpart. And... uh, so he he sent Mildred um, just a brief plot outline for the first Nancy Drew mystery, um, and she wrote it in her parents' home on Highway Six in Ladora, and she wrote it in two months. and uh, And this is the historic first Nancy Drew mystery, which is the secret of the old clock. Is that one of your favorites by chance? <laughs> Well, I do like The Secret of the Old Clock, and I think especially if you read it in the original version, because I think that uh, in Mildred's version, it is such a product of the Depression. I mean, it's it's so heavily in there. You've got the impoverished gentry and, you know, people looking for uh, sort of a miracle by finding the secret that was hidden in the old clock, and then it was such an ingenious hiding place. I wonder if people started hiding things in clocks after that or if they had to quit. <laughs> Exactly, and uh, um, some people have said that one of the reasons she was so popular was that she was a a brilliant response to her time, which was the Great Depression, you know, because um, when you think about it, Nancy's role in a lot of the mysteries is, is kind of that of a female Robin Hood and restoring inheritances as she does in The Secret of the Oak Clock and, and lost items to worthy people in distress. And uh, when you think about it, that's probably what a lot of, that's how a lot of her readers thought of themselves at that time, that they were worthy people in distress who had lost their their inheritances, you know, like their bank accounts. 
And uh, mm-hmm. so so that may be one of the reasons she was so successful. But then, of course, she, she had that independence, bravery, and blue roadster, too. Well, uh, I want to just take a minute here and give the call numbers again in case anybody out there wants to call in and ask a question. You can call one seven one four two four two five two five three or toll free one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine. And I want to apologize that I don't know what's going on, but I can't get the chat room to open tonight. So if you were hoping to chat as uh, isn't happening tonight, and I'm sorry about that. Um, And I also want to make sure people know if you are watching a stream on the website, either now or later, they have a function now there where there's a little slideshow. So I pulled out my Nancy Drew photos. So I've got a couple pictures from a display that the Hoover Presidential Library had a few years ago uh, that had a display about both um, Mildred Wirt Benson and about Laura Ingalls Wilder. There's pictures of that. There's also a picture of a 1930 Roadster uh, that I got down at Old Thrasher's. I went through and read all the little plaques till I found one that would be the closest to what Nancy had. Mm-hmm. And there's also there's also a picture <laughs> of a statue from down in Louisiana, actually, when I was there, because I thought it looked just like the cover of the Whispering, Whispering Statue. So you can enjoy looking at those sometimes. Okay. Um, we were talking about, let's see, we've gotten as far as um, she turned out this first book and that was all of, that was about um, well, a wonderful heroine in Iowa. And then what happened? Well, uh, what's fascinating is uh, that Mildred Augustine said that when she sent her first manuscript to Edward Stratemeyer back in New Jersey, she told an interviewer that he was not pleased. <laughs> uh, he he thought that Nancy Drew was what he said was too flip, and I, I wish some of your listeners would explain to me what he might have meant by that in 1930. But he told Mildred he thought Nancy was too flip and would would not succeed. Well, luckily, the publishers for the Stratemeyer Syndicate, which was Grosset and Dunlap, they disagreed with him, and they ordered two more Nancy Drew mysteries for the spring of 1930 as test or breeder volumes, as they were called. And these were the second one, which is my favorite, which is uh, of the Hidden Staircase. Uh, is that one of your favorites? <laughs> and oh, actually, uh, I have a long-held desire to have a secret panel somewhere in my house. Just like <laughs> exactly. Drew, so. I was just fascinated with the Hidden Staircase. And uh, and then the third was the Bungalow Mystery. And, uh, Which is such a great Aug- word. I just love Bungalow. I had never heard of Bungalow until I read that book. And I was like, I love that. Well, and I love, didn't didn't you love the word chums for her friends? Oh, yes. Her chums, Bess and George, that she, uh, there's so many good words in those original blue books, and and, and those are the ones that Mildred Augustine wrote. Uh, uh, But anyway, the the story continues because uh, Nancy Drew was immediately popular, across the nation, and 
So Stratemeyer sent Mildred the fourth Nancy Drew mystery, uh, which is the mystery of the Lilac Inn. And that was the last book she wrote for the syndicate before Edward Stratemeyer died. Uh, it turns out that Nancy Drew, if you can believe it, was Edward Stratemeyer's last and greatest brainchild. <laughs> well, uh, so Edward Stratemeyer dies. You know, it's 1930. Mildred Augustine has written the first four Nancy Drew mysteries, and Edward Stratemeyer's daughter, Harriet, takes over the syndicate, and she becomes almost obsessive in her proprietary feelings about Nancy Drew. Nancy Drew was so popular immediately, as I mentioned, and Harriet somehow thought of Nancy as her own Daughter, she she used to she said my daughter Nancy Drew. She she just you know was possessive about her, and so for the next fifty years, Harriet let everyone think that she was Carolyn Keene. You know that was the pen name on all the Nancy Drew books. You know there is no Carolyn Keene, but they all say you know by Carolyn Keene. So um, Harriet Stratemeyer even had had. Um, stationery printed up. She would answer letters. You know, she told people she was Carolyn Keene, and Mildred Augustine had signed a contract of secrecy. So, but I, I have to tell you, and this is for your Iowa readers, that Mildred Augustine did have her standards. Um, in uh, 1934, uh Harriet said to Mildred that because of the depression, she would have to lower her fee from $125 per manuscript to $100 per manuscript. Well, Augustine refused to work for those reduced wages. Uh, Oh, and by then she had written the first seven Nancy Drew Mysteries. And so now we know that Nancy Drew Mysteries 8, 9, and 10 were written by a man named Walter Keurig. But... um, uh, Harriet Stratemeyer Adams didn't like particularly the way he wrote, didn't think he wrote as well as Mildred Augustine. And so she returned to Mildred in 1934. Uh, and for the next 14 years, Mildred Augustine wrote the Nancy Drew books. And the one you mentioned at the start, The Ghost of Blackwood Hall, was the last one she wrote in 1948. So it's it's really correct to say that after... Uh, creating the character and personality of Nancy Drew. And uh, Mildred said that in those first three Nancy Drew mysteries, she really worked hard on Nancy's character, trying to make her a departure from the typical, stereotypical girl heroines of, of her day. And Augustine said she thought those girls were too silly. <laughs> so she tried to make Nancy Drew intelligent, agile, and resourceful. And uh, clearly she was on to something because, you know, Nancy Drew was just a great success. But um, uh, there's kind of a tension over the years between Harriet Stratemeyer Adams, who took the credit and made most of the money, and Mildred Augustine, the Midwestern writer who wrote 23 of the first 30 and uh, got $125 per volume. Yes, and if anybody is interested, I have on my blog at trundlebedtales.wordpress.com 
a post that has a list of all of those 23 titles. So if anybody's interested, you can go and find it there. Oh, good. And uh, be sure, I always try to tell people, um, get the blue-covered Nancys, because in, in the 1950s they made turned out those yellow ones that were shorter, and they're the same titles, but they're shorter. So uh, look for those blue-covered. And uh, also people who are collectors, um, I should tell people if they're if you're rummaging in your attic or if you're at a garage sale or antique shop. Um, I don't know if you remember the famous Nancy Drew silhouette on the cover. She's got a magnifying glass, and um, well, for the first 16 years from 1930 to 1946, if you look at that silhouette on the cover, Nancy has a scarf around her neck. You can see, and under her feet is a shadow uh, on the silhouette. Well, for some reason or other, after 1946, Grosset and Dunlap, they kept the silhouette, but they took off the handkerchief and the shadow on her feet. And so people who have, so if you're looking and, and find a lovely blue copy, look at the silhouette. And if you've got the, the scarf around her neck and the shadow, you've got, one that's really worth something, and, and, you know, you've got one of the early ones, uh, and so it's probably worth more than, than some of the later ones. I, I have a whole collection, and I have very few that have the scarf and the shadow. Well, I, I do want to point out for everybody, too, if you aren't a collector and you just want to read the original books, uh, most of the uh, early ones, anyway, have been reprinted by Applewood Books, in their original format, uh, so collectors don't care, but uh, people who are actually just Nancy Drew fans and want to read Nancy Drew how she originally was, uh, you can find those at the Applewood Books website and many places, uh, bookstores, sell them too. And the beauty of those is that uh, some people love those wonderful black and white drawings that went with them. Um, and uh, they're there in the Applewood editions, and often they'll have an introduction by a current mystery writer. So, like Sarah Paretsky introduces the secret of the old clock. So, so they're kind of special. Uh, they're they're the old, but then uh, uh, they they often have a great introduction by by a contemporary mystery writer. So, um, as we were talking about that, uh, Mildred put a lot of herself into Nancy, did she put uh, much of Iowa in the book? We talked about general descriptions, but is there any place we can point to that is in Iowa that shows up in one of the early Nancy Drew books? Well, um, you know, the town where she's from is called River Heights, and uh, when I've been up in the Mason City area, they they tell me there was a section of Mason City that was called River Heights, so they kind of really? like to think they could claim a bit. And uh, um, But if uh, I actually have, and this is in a wonderful book called The Nancy Drew Scrapbook um, by Karen Plunkett Powell. Um, she, a, a woman has tried to draw a map of River, uh, River Heights and showing Nancy's home and everything, and the river that goes through it is called the Muskoka River, and uh, um, we do know, and and this is, I think, in the clue in the crumbling wall. Um, 
that mystery seems to be set on the Mississippi, and it involves buttons and pearls, and you you just feel like she's maybe using some of the scenes she knows. Mildred Augustine, of course, uh, uh, went to the University of Iowa and uh, loved to swim and uh, uh if you remember the bungalow mystery at all, that's the third mystery. Um, at that time, this was 1930, um, Mildred Augustine herself was a swimming instructor in Iowa City. She'd love to jump off the bridge into the Iowa River. Um, but in uh, the bungalow mystery, Nancy Drew teaches her friend, Helen Corning, how to swim. <laughs> so, uh, uh, again, she's putting uh, bits of herself uh uh, in in the novels, and and perhaps the most obvious is that um, Mildred Augustine loved flying, and uh, she learned to fly. If you can believe it, she was a working journalist. She learned to fly when she was 59 years old. She flew her own Piper Cherokee, and she actually and she's a little bit like Agatha Christie, the great British mystery writer who was writing you know, Miss Marple about the same time. Both of these mystery writers loved archaeology. And so our Mildred Augustine learned to fly her own airplane because she got tired of hiring pilots to fly her into remote archaeological digs. Uh, So throughout her life, Mildred Augustine had six pilot's licenses, including one for seaplaning, which appears in Nancy Drew Mystery number 14 of The Mystery of the Whispering Statue. And uh, in The Clue in the Crumbling Wall, Nancy herself becomes an experienced uh, pilot. And uh, so so it's it's fairly clear. Mildred Augustine also was a great golfer. And you probably remember in the Nancy Drew Mysteries, Nancy herself is a great golfer. And one of them, I'm trying to remember which one, uh, she wins a tournament with a broken hand. I always love that <laughs> detail. Okay. Um, so we've, we have writing the books and... Mildred isn't able to say that she wrote them. What changed? What happened so we were able to find out about Mildred? Well, it's it's a very moving story, I think, for us in the Midwest because uh, of this secrecy. And uh, what happened with Mildred, she was a working journalist. She had a master's degree in journalism, and, and uh, she married a reporter for the Associated Press, and his name was Asa Wirt, W-I-R-T. And uh, um, they got married and moved to Toledo, Ohio. Um, but in 1940, they had a daughter. And uh, in 1940, they had just been married, uh, oh, eight or nine years. And uh, he began to have a series of strokes, and so he was very ill. And so here they had a daughter. He couldn't work. Mildred, you know, was the breadwinner and also the nurse. And so she's writing uh, these Nancy Drew mysteries, and she began to write other uh, young people's stories under a great many different pen names. And so... uh, I'd like to hand out, and it's actually from uh, a wonderful book by the Library Association. Mildred Augustine wrote more than 130 different um, young people's books, uh, 
under a whole bunch of different names. And she said at this time that um, she would put the typewriter beside her husband's bed when she was nursing him in the 1940s and would, in between nursing him, she would try to write, you know, whether it was Nancy Drew or whether it was the Dana Girls or she loved the Penny Parker mysteries because Penny Parker was a journalist. Um, so she'd be writing these stories, and she said to one interviewer, um, if my stories sounded tired, it was because I was tired. <laughs> and uh, I tend to blame Harriet Stratemeyer. I just think, um, couldn't she have helped Mildred a little bit more at this time when you know, she was rich with Nancy Drew and Mildred was struggling in Toledo, Ohio, trying to raise her daughter and, and nurse her husband. But uh, in any case, um, Asa Ward died in 1947, and so um, Mildred was a single mom raising her daughter as a journalist, and uh, she she was writing for the Toledo Blade, and uh, uh, she met after three years, uh, or fell in love, I guess, with the editor of the Toledo Blade named George Benson. And they had ten wonderful years together from 1950 to about 1960, and then George Benson had a heart attack and died. And so for the last 40-some years of her life, she was a widow like like many women. And uh, But so throughout her life, she remained an inspiring role model for us all. Um, she was flying, she was golfing, she was raising her daughter, she was writing her column um, for the Toledo Blade at the age of 96, if you can believe it, when she died in 2002. So uh, uh, I think she she's inspiring to us all through her life. Yes, I, I think she really was, down to her last column where she talks about the importance of libraries. I've been putting a couple quotes from that column on Facebook this week to, to tell people to listen tonight. So Isn't she it, um, really was an inspiration. Um, and that she was writing about that, I, I have that right here. She wrote, I consider it an honor to have been born near the turn of the 20th century at about the time when public libraries were first coming into popular use. And uh, uh, I love the fact that her the name of her column that she was writing, if you can believe it, up until age 96 was called On the Go. <laughs> so uh, that continues to uh, inspire me, too. And uh, I am pleased to say that um, uh, fame is slowly catching up with her. You know, Nancy, her heroine, had immediate and ongoing fame, but... Uh, in, in 1993, Augustine reached an agreement with Simon & Schuster under which she's finally given credit for writing the original stories. And so since 1993, Augustine is acknowledged in all the printings of the 23 books she wrote, including all the translations. And they have this statement on the copyright page. It says, Acknowledgement is made to Mildred Augustine Wirt Benson, who, writing under the pen name Carolyn Keene, wrote the original Nancy Drew books. <laughs> Finally. And <laughs> so, it took so a long time. It, it did. Absolutely. And uh, 
There was a one a kind of interesting movie, a uh, made-for-TV movie about, I don't know, 2003 or 2004. It was a Nancy Drew on campus film, and at the end it saluted Mildred Augustine, and uh, I was very much touched by that. But um, it started to come out in uh, 1980 when uh, Harriet Adams switched publishers, right, and there was a lawsuit? She finally, Harriet Stratemeyer Adams, finally let go after 50 years of trying to move Nancy farther east <laughs> toward New Jersey uh, and kind of trying to camouflage her, her Midwestern roots. And what happened was that in 1979, Harriet sold the rights to the Nancy Drew books. You know, she was getting old herself, and uh, I think she died in 1982. So she sold the rights um and it was at that time, because Grosset and Dunlap, of course, didn't want to lose rights to these, you know, very lucrative books. And it was at this time that there was a lawsuit, and Mildred Augustine was called and uh, uh, testified. And that's when the real author's names came out. Well, and it took a long time from there till 93. And there was actually um, a conference, which is how I found out about her, at the University of, of Iowa. And it was, I, I, there were people from the library involved in the conference. I don't know why none of them said, you know, we're having this conference, Sarah. I think you'd be interested. And by the time I found out, it was the day before, and I couldn't get anybody to switch. So I didn't get to go, which I'm very sorry about. But because of that, uh, I decided to uh, write to Mildred Wirt Benson at the Toledo Blade. I looked up the uh, address and at the library and wrote her a letter. And uh, she must have liked my letter because she answered me. And I've, I've talked to one of her relatives, and she said that she didn't answer everybody. But I told her all about how I was always upset with my mom because she had 10 years. She could write Laura Ingalls Wilder, and she never did. So I was not gonna I was not gonna have that happen to my kids and then find out that I could have written Nancy Drew's author and I didn't. So I wrote her a letter and she wrote me back and she said, uh, your letter about the Nancy Drew stories I wrote reached me and I do appreciate your kind words and memories. Thanks a lot, Mildred Wirt Benson. And that's one of my prized possessions that I actually have a letter from the real Carolyn Keene who's about as close to a real Nancy Drew as we're going to find. Oh, I envy you. How wonderful. Right. I've I've read that exactly, that she wrote so many other things, too, and, and that she kind of got a little bit tired of people mentioning Nancy Drew, but she knew she had contributed something really to young girls' reading across the world. So I think she knew... Uh, and felt good about it. Yes, I do. I I don't know all of her pen names, but when I do see a book that says Mildred Wirt or Mildred Wirt Benson, I buy it, and I've got about four of those now. To add I do, them. too, and there's Ann Wirt. If you see anything by Ann Wirt, that's hers, too, and I've got one called The Secret of the Sundial. Um, but she also wrote under her own name um, some of the Brownie Scout mysteries, so that's I have one called the Brownie Scouts at Snow Valley and the Brownie Scouts at Windmill Farm, and uh, those are by Mildred A. Wirt. And uh, so she has a whole bunch of different pen names, and uh, so people uh, 
might want to collect them if uh knowing that this is you know the author of Nancy Drew. Well, I keep an eye out. So whenever I and and you know, a used book call to me, it's really sad. <laughs> I spend more money on old books as my grandmother says. But what do you want those old books for? But they're great. I really like them. So, uh, while we're talking about books, besides books by um, by Mildred, uh, is there any particular? You mentioned the, the Nancy Drew scrapbook. Are there any other books? I know there's actually kind of um, been several kind of academic-ish books about Nancy Drew. Are there any that you'd recommend? Well, I'd love to recommend the book that came out of the conference you mentioned at the University of Iowa, and it's called Rediscovering Nancy Drew, and it's edited by Carolyn Stewart Dyer and uh, Nancy Tillman Romilov, and it's from the University of Iowa Press, and I hope they still have some, and there are all sorts of... uh, uh, essays from people who were at the conference, and what I particularly like to call to their attention, because I had the joy of of meeting this artist um, at the conference in the early 90s, was a Hawaiian printmaker named Laura Ruby, who is wonderfully talented and very funny, and a huge Nancy Drew fan. And Laura, on the cover of this book, you will see one of Laura's prints. And what Laura Ruby has done is she's created a brilliant print for each of the first 46 Nancy Drew mysteries. And each one of them is a mystery. Have you seen any of these at all, um, Sarah? Only the one on the cover of the book. Right, right. Well, each one is different, and they're all... um, Laura is so funny herself, and she, she said she was kind of taken were kind of pulled toward Nancy Drew because of her name, you know, Drew being the past tense of draw, (laughs) because Laura's an artist, you know. And uh, so each of them, and and art being kind of a mystery, you know, like when you're looking at a a painting, you're you're kind of trying to figure out what's going on in the painting. Well, uh, each of these prints that Laura's made... um, uh, and people can contact her uh, on the web. It's a kind of mystery, and you can find yourself looking, and you'll see the detect- the silhouette and uh, the the magnifying glass. And often she uses the texture of the blue covers. And uh, anyway, so uh, I would recommend rediscovering Nancy Drew, just if not for the wonderful essays inside, just for the um, intriguing color cover. Uh, drawing by uh, Laura Ruby. But uh, another book, if people are really interested in these two women, um, a woman named Melanie Rehack, R-E-H-A-K, wrote a book um, recently called Girl Sleuth, Nancy Drew, and the Women Who Created Her. And it's really about Mildred Augustine and Harriet Stratemeyer Adams. And uh, what Mildred Rehack was able to do, and I guess it came out in 2005, um, she was able to read some of the correspondence of the Stratemeyer Syndicate, and so she really gets insight into what was going on with both Mildred and uh, Harriet. And uh, um, she, she tries to be very even-handed and really presents both women as admirable women because 
after all, Harriet Stratemeyer Adams did run this syndicate after her father died and, uh, um, you know, was certainly a remarkable woman in itself. So people who are interested in, in those two women um, might be interested in Girl Sleuth, Nancy Drew, and the women who created her. Um, I tend to be a little partisan toward Mildred and, and wish uh, Harriet had been a little bit more generous with uh, both the money and the recognition to, to Mildred during her lifetime. But uh, uh, there there is so much memorabilia, and I think that shows what a an icon Nancy Drew has become. So uh, if you're a big Nancy Drew fan, you can you know, own the license plate and the lunchbox and the cameo and the, um, uh, there's a game that's very rare, a Nancy Drew board game if, if people can find it. And, uh, there are all sorts of websites and, uh, I have a little book, um, that's called Nancy Drew's Guide to Life. Have you seen that? <laughs> so there, there's the Nancy Drew cookbook and, uh, so there's all sorts of there are video games. I was always bummered that Nancy Drew got a cookbook and the Hardy Boys got a detective guy. So I actually <laughs> I got both of them. So I know, and poor Nancy. I mean, Nancy really didn't cook much. She had Hannah Groon, the the, uh, the cook who came in. And uh, I should say, if we we have just a, a few more minutes left. Um, I don't want to say that the Nancy Drew mysteries are perfect because when we read them today in 2011, I mean, it's it's very clear that Nancy was privileged. You know, she had her own roadster and, uh, you know, she had the cook who came in. Um, and uh, in, the night, in those early books, um, and this is true of all the Stratemeyer series books, um, they often use stereotypes at that time so if if they're policemen they're usually irish and uh sometimes they'll be maids or caretakers who are african-american talking a kind of embarrassing dialect and uh yeah, the, the dialect is pretty bad right and people start to notice that you know in the 1940s and so that's one of the reasons they redid them and so they kind of took in the yellow books that a lot of People, the yellow Nancys that many people grew up reading. Um, you know, the the icebox is now a refrigerator, and the Roadster is a, a blue Mustang convertible. But um, uh, they've they've gotten away from that. So that's one good thing Harriet did. But uh, uh, she she also dumbed it down. So well. Uh, we are about out of time. There was some stuff I wanted to get to that we didn't, so maybe we'll have to have you back again. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, um, someone should do a, a Nancy Drew, Laura Ingalls Wilder comparison or something as, as traits of heroines. Well, I think they probably could, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and put you in, back in the green room, Barbara. But okay. thank you so much for coming tonight. I really appreciate you letting me interview, and I think we did a, a really interesting show, and we'll have to try and talk Nancy Drew some more. All right. Thank you, Sarah. Bye-bye. Uh, and I want to just make sure everybody knows that Barbara is available as a Humanities Iowa speaker, like I am about Laura, she is about Mildred. So uh, if anybody is interested in having Barbara talk, you can 
find out about that on the Humanities Iowa website, or if you want to find about me, it's also on the Humanities Iowa website. And uh, I, this is a little bit of a variation tonight, but I was really glad we did it because I grew up loving Nancy Drew, and I think probably a lot of you did too. So thank you for joining us. And uh, we don't ha I don't have firm dates for anything in June yet, but keep an eye on the website. Or you can also follow me on Twitter or join me on Facebook, and I'll let you know when the next episode is coming up. So thank you very much. Good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.